We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 357 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Emil Evanesian. Emil, it seems like you are not in your noble home in Barcelona, but you're even in a nicer place in Costa Bravo. How's it going? I am, yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Greetings from uh, Tosa de Mar. Yeah, in the vicinity of the beach. Uh, the Barca, Barca season winds down, so I've, I've headed to the beach as well. Yeah, so before everyone of our listeners decides to go on their vacations, too, I do, before we get started, want to say thanks for the feedback on the show I did last week in Las Vegas at the Blue Wire Podcast Studios, or Blue Wire Studios. Yeah, it was just a really cool thing. It was one of those one-off things. I happened to be going to Vegas, and they happened to be in Vegas, and because they are the network for which our podcast lays, it just worked out perfectly. So for those that did figure it out, I was away for the entire week, so that's why we only had one show last week. And as a programming note, the attempt for the offseason will be to do two shows a week. That is going to be the attempt, but there will be slow news weeks where only one show will suffice, and I can work on some stuff at that in those time periods that takes a bit more time and research, right? Like I have some things on the history of the club and important figures that I want to work on, but that does take reading and research and compiling different sources together just to make sure that the information I have is correct. Because again, I was not in Barcelona in the 1970s, so I will do my best <laughs> to figure out what was going on there. Uh, and speaking of that vacation, I was on, fortunately for me, Emil, I did get on a plane just as yeah. the second half of the Champions League final began. So for me, it was 0-0 for the five-hour f- flight. And I think for that reason, I might be one of the lucky ones. I've got four points on the Champions League final, Emil. And let's go through them piece by piece, starting with UEFA event management. And I don't, I think for Barca's purposes, this might have something to do with the Super League conversation and the fact that two wrongs don't make a right. Super League, bad. UEFA event management and UEFA, when when it comes time for them to truly be in charge of something, not good. That's a really good point you bring up. We, the Super League in any guise, like no matter how you dress it up and and how it's presented, yeah, like we're not going to be on board with that. That's not to say that we're backing UEFA and what they are and what they stand for. I mean, it's a little bit of it, I guess, was like the the devil you know. But I mean, we've it was laid bare on Champions League Sunday that when it comes to, I mean, this is your flagship event. I mean, this is. Literally, European football 
Super Bowl. And it's just so horrifically mismanaged. And I mean, you have fans getting tear gassed outside the stadium. I don't even, you know, just how does how does that happen? I mean, and I know there was, I guess there's like big conversations happening today in, I don't know where it was, like in England or Switzerland or wherever it is. But like, I mean, how does that actually come to pass? It It's astonishing to me that for this one thing, you know, the full capacity are going to show up at this stadium in this city at this time. Like none of this is surprising. And yet you're just hilariously, embarrassingly unprepared. And then even in the moment, your reaction to, you know, the, the mismanagement and the chaos is to somehow heap another helping of chaos on top of it. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's astounding. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't even know what to say. How, like, how are you guys the ones in charge? Well, yeah, and I'm prepared, fully prepared for them to pass the baton to FIFA for the, in the winter for the, for the FIFA World Cup. I'm, I'm yep. fully prepared for us to hear similar stories, except it's in a 120 degree Fahrenheit situation in Qatar. So, all right, that's, yeah, not great. Probably the worst part of it. Somehow, what makes you feel as bad is obviously Real Madrid won, beating Liverpool <laughs> won. Nothing. They are very good at what they do, that being Real Madrid. They are good at passing out of the back. They are good in possession, yet they choose not to have possession. And it mm. just it seems to work. They have players who do what they need to do. And more important than anything else is just their mentality. It's not even a Barcelona versus Real Madrid situation here. It's Real Madrid against the field when it comes to the Champions League. It's a trophy that they yeah. know how to win. And it just so happens to be the most valuable trophy, or at least the trophy that we have assigned the most value to, because right. it is the right. Continental Cup. It is a place where if you spend a whole year watching Manchester City win the Premier League, you can say, hey, how does that team stack up against the teams in Spain? How does the team yep. Bayern Munich stack up against the teams in Spain and Italy and, and, mm-hmm. and down the line? And it is the be-all and end-all. While the Club World Cup, it would be great if that was the case, uh, no offense yeah. to the Seattle Sounders, it is not. It is it is the UEFA Champions League. That is where where things are truly decided. And to that, uh, to add another point to that, Mio's point number three, I saw a, a good number of people, and when I say people, you know, not to say get off my lawn, but it's young people, really, on social media, rooting for Madrid over Liverpool because of recent history and because they're more used to seeing Liverpool fans on their timeline. Or, or it was the idea that it... Madrid winning says something about Spanish clubs and mm-hmm. it, it gives power to the fact that La Liga is not dead in the way that everyone kind of seemingly has said they are financially. However, <laughs> however, there is no way I would ever, ever, ever root for Real Madrid in a in a football match. It's impossible. It's just it's never going to happen. I hope they love I was just I was hoping they lost in every way <laughs> by by ten goals. So it, it doesn't matter. Liverpool fans yep. can be exhausting. I mean it, it, as bad as Liverpool could ever be, uh, it is still Madrid. And yep. I can tell you that, again, hosting this podcast, yeah, I mean, Liverpool, those fans trolled worse than the Madrid fans. Like, the response <laughs> I got after the Liverpool collapse was, you know, yeah. frustrating and juvenile and immature. But Madrid is a constant buzz that will never go away. And, yes, yep. it, it's certainly I would never find myself rooting for Madrid. Amen to that. Yeah, I mean, I think the you brought up an interesting point. And I, I I thought about this too. It's because I found objectively, and of course, I'm I come from the same kind of perspective as you in that there's no version of Real Madrid that I can find to be the more sympathetic side in any fixture. So, you know, just by default, I was 
rooting against Real Madrid. And, you know, the fact is, like, this Liverpool side is really, I mean, to me at least, like, it's really likable just from the from the perspective of they have outstanding players who are, you know, really fun and just impressive to watch. I personally like Jurgen Klopp. I mean, I, I realize some people, you know, your mileage may vary on him, but I personally like him. I mean, the, the thing was, I thought objectively Liverpool was the more kind of likable, easier to root for side. Now, I also realize I come from a perspective of, you know, like kind of the, the Real Madrid thing. It's just like any of it is like, what is it, fruit from a poisonous tree? <laughs> like just So I'm like, okay, I was never going to get on board. Fine. And I, I do think there's a little bit of the backing Madrid because, and none of this is Liverpool's fault, but I do think there's the the Premier League exceptionalism in the way that it's marketed, you know, okay. greatest league in the world, the richest league in the world. And, you know, the, what is it? The championship playoff is the most valuable game in football and just all of this stuff. Like they're, and so I, I guess like Liverpool became a little bit of an a little bit of an avatar for the sort of the the perceived English exceptionalism for the game, but yeah, I mean I actually saw a lot. I even saw like I saw people, not I saw two people I know in Barcelona, who to be fair I wasn't even sure if they were football fans or wearing Madrid shirts. Yeah. One one dude was wearing like a you know, several models, like several years old Sergio Ramos jersey. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was like a kick in the gut. <laughs> and so I do think it's a little bit of that. I think it's because I think if the English, because it was, it was England and Spain were the, the top two leagues in, in Europe for much of the, you know, the, the Messi Ronaldo era mm-hmm. and England has all the money and they have sort of their, their teams are deeper and stacked with talent. Spain had the sort of the, the apex predators of the sport. And because Italy and, you know, Germany is Bayern, a little bit of Dortmund, and we don't really look at a lot of the rest. Italy is now coming back up, but they are, you know, Serie A hasn't been sort of the top league in Europe in quite some time. So I think it was kind of La Liga was the last hope to keep the Premier League from just dominating both financially and in terms of, uh, just silverware and prestige yeah, and everything but, like but that. But isn't that the irony that that the Liga and particularly Madrid in, in in general have won almost half the Champions League trophies for the last ten years? I mean, they just yep. they keep winning them. And one of those that they didn't win, Barcelona won in twenty fifteen. Yep. And so what that sets up though is a direct comparison to I think this is the 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 un, unfortunate part is that it's a direct comparison for Barcelona to their rivals. And it's unfortunate that we have to say, and this will we'll get we'll circle back to this at the end of the show, but the finances of Barcelona mean that you can't compare, right? That Chuamani has a zero percent chance to come to Barcelona, even if Barcelona were quote unquote, you know, a destination for him, because again with the city, especially trying to grab French players, Barcelona is always going to be a potential landing spot, but financially it's impossible. There are rumors coming out today that Barcelona won't be able to register even Kessier and Christensen unless some kind of move happens. And so that means yeah. that uh, Chuamani could only go to Madrid if he chooses to go to Madrid. And so many of these other players can only choose Madrid. So that's why the fact that Barcelona are where they're at with, with Ansu and Araujo and Pedri and the fact that they've collected the young talent that they have and were able to even renew them. And Gabi yep. Trinul is, of all the things that you hear about whether it's serious or not, right? That means Jules Koundé... Guys, I mean, come on! Like, get, like, unless something happens, unless a deal is made, 
as far as like the CVC or revenues to come in that's going to reset that salary limit. I mean, we're not we're not talking about Jules Conde. Yeah, we're talking like, about not renew- the current We're talking about renewing Gabi. So I know it's really hard. It, it is. It's a hard, impossible pill to swallow to say. Not only is Madrid won the Champions League, but Barcelona financially have no way to to catch them in the next even two or three seasons. However, yeah. I want to say Barcelona are supremely fortunate in the young talent that they have already collected, and there might be other deals and youngsters out there that you know they're going to build that way. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Now, I don't want to harp on that point too much because I think it's a broad thing we're going to talk about throughout the summer. The Femini 
I know, Emil, you were one of our experts when it comes to the Femini. They yeah. did win the Copa della Reina after losing the Champions League final. So yep. they were perfect on their way to a treble. They still won a treble, that being the league, yep. the Copa della Reina, and the Spanish Super Cup without losing a single match. And yet, yep. Emil, it's unfortunate. You and I know are going to agree on this. Many, of course, will see their season as a failure because they only really showed up for the Champions League final, but also because... This being the Femini representing, truly representing FC Barcelona, where only the biggest prize merits success. All other yeah. trophies have now become expected due to sheer brilliance. And that is, I, I think other clubs at the top do suffer from that, but Barcelona in particular of recent years suffers from that. Only yeah. that Champions League trophy seems to matter to the fan base. But, you know, it's the same way with PSG. It's the same way with Bayern. It's uh, to a point the same way at Real Madrid. And it's become the same point at Liverpool before they won it. And Man City is the same thing, right? You, you, there's a list of clubs that only the Champions League trophy is, is, is what matters. And it is a shame, but overall Barcelona going 45 of 47 matches won across yep. all competitions, scoring 221 goals, conceding just 23. That is a goal differential of plus 198. That should break yep. your brain. It should. They lost only two games all season, both of them coming in the final two matches of the Champions League as in the 2 nothing loss to Wolfsburg after they had already qualified. Which and didn't matter, yeah. Yeah, winning 5-3 on aggregate, and then obviously getting through to the final where they lost 3-1, but they were down 3 nothing in that game, and it was pretty much over even by the sixth minute when, when Henri scored that, that, that Galasso. They won 96% of all games this year and a 45-match winning streak that started at the first match of the season and went all the way to Wolfsburg. And it's, it's tough because... This is a feminine side that over the course of now two seasons, and I'm hoping the this dynasty continues, and it should. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about them next year, whether they make the final or the semifinal, whatever. This yep. team is going to have a lot, I, I think, as far as their place, as we talked about in women's football, this loss in the final takes nothing away from that. They still had 90,000 plus at the Camp No. They still have uh, taken women's football, especially with DAZN, really stepping up their coverage here in North America. DAZN has done a wonderful job here getting everything on YouTube, getting women's football accessible to people, and people showed up. And I think this Barca Femini team, the way they play, the way they really, truly play, the way we expect a Barcelona team to play, and that is with a ruthless dominance, moving the ball, letting the, the ball do the work, and it could be any player in that 11 to pop up and put the ball in the back yep. of the net and defeat you. And so I don't want to take anything away from this this women's no. side, even though I know I can guarantee you that we're going to see this year and feel like it is a failure because that final match, the one to really prove that they were truly the best, was the one they lost. Uh, look, I mean, there was undoubted, like undoubtedly, like that's that's disappointing. You know, I mean, that was just it was just such a such a blow that because to win that match would have put I mean, this would have been the most as magical as last season was winning the treble and winning it as spectacularly as they did to come back somehow even better this season and do. I mean, like you said, everything you said and imperiously in throughout, you know, the league, the Champions League, you know, Supercopa, Copa de la Reina. It, it's a bummer that, that they that they lost in the final. My, my hope is at least I think and I, I hope they'll be remembered for they struck a I don't even know if it struck a nerve or like they they hit upon a kind of a love and a an appetite and a and a desire to enjoy and you know just spectate and elevate women's football in a way that no team 
ever has before. So the first time they they drew ninety thousand, and I don't want to. It, it really shouldn't only be about the fact that they drew ninety thousand, but they were the proof of concept. And then on top of that, I mean, they were just so good. They are so fun to watch. So I don't know. I mean, it's they they're they're infectious. the The fact that they lost should take nothing away. And I, I actually I wrote about this in some in like a preview that I wrote for that game. You know, at, at the time I was thinking about it as this final against Lyon because it was three years prior. Lyon were the last team in recent memory to really overpower and just really rough up Barca Feminine when they, you know, they beat them, I believe it was 4 1 in the 2019 Champions League final. And so I, I kind of thought of it as n- not that it was, you know, by no means was it a done deal. Basically, follow up last year's trouble trouble by beating the last team that really beat you decisively. But in in writing that piece, I did a lot of research into Lyon's un, unfathomably dominant run. Prior to last season, they had won, was it 15 consecutive league titles, you know, domestic league titles. Yeah. They had won four consecutive Champions Leagues and six in total. And They'd won five trebles. And my favorite thing was at the time going into that 2019 final when Barca and Lyon played domestically, Lyon had won the last 13 French titles. They had scored 1,010 goals domestically and conceded 66. And they had lost five league games in 13 years. So, and even last season when they, you know, failed and had a horrible year, it was because Ada. Hegerberg was out with a blown ACL. And even then they got to, you know, they, they were eliminated in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, but that was on away goals by PSG. So they still played them level and they lost the league by a single point. So, I mean, I think it's for as unbelievable and just like this death machine that Barca Femini has been for the last, you know, couple, three years. Leon has just been doing this since I was in my 20s. I think we kind of forgot about them and they aren't Barcelona. I think are just also just a more magnetic and I don't want to talk about marketability, but they are like, they are kind of a more magnetic and people are, are drawn to them. Like they're, they're fun. Like they're photogenic and like they, you know, they're on like Instagram, like just doing cool stuff and funny stuff. Yeah. And we kind of forgot that Leon are like, yeah, we've been doing this on a regular basis for what 16 years now. So, I mean, they, they lost to literally the greatest dynasty the women's football has ever seen. Yeah. And the first time this feminine team got punched in the mouth in 2019, we saw what they did and came back. And so I, part of me is hopeful that a second punch in the mouth is going to mean, I mean, they they can't do anything other than be perfect everywhere else, but it's going to revitalize them and maybe one or two new pieces, which is crazy to say with how talented the squad is, but one or two new pieces comes in to not only yep. add depth, but to push those who were there even farther along. So I expect probably a center back to come in, a high a high caliber center back. And then if Lucky Martins is indeed going to PSG, we're probably going to see a high caliber winger as well. So I think yeah. for the Femini, that's that's just my predictions there. Who knows, again, what money has been allocated towards the Femini either with the men's team dealing with what, what they're doing. But again, the numbers are... Unfortunately, so much, so much smaller than in women's football that it is kind of affordable for Barcelona if they do set aside that money. So 
Speaking of the first team, all right, yep. let's do it. Time for superlatives. You know, this is the first season with Lionel Messi, or without him, I should say, in 16 years, and it felt weird from start to finish, marred by injuries to the most promising players of the club. Just two managers, two legends of the club, that being Kuman, his time ending, and Xavi, his time just beginning. And, you know, in total, I actually felt because of those two managers kind of breaking up what the season was, it's difficult yeah. to kind of put it all together, right? And to choose superlatives and categories based on both of their time, because there were even youngsters that we saw, teenagers, that only featured under one or the other. And so to judge their appearances are to judge the manager that would have trusted them in one or two appearances. So we do have, again, a list of superlatives. We're going to jump right in. And that is the newcomer from the Academy. Uh, Emil, I'm going to try my best to largely let you go first. And I think for some of these, we will have the same answer, but for others, we won't. And yep. if you have other candidates for the for these topics, uh, yeah, just spit them out there. Sure. And for those who are listening, yeah, you can tweet us or put on Instagram your own personal picks. And then for those also watching, just put it down in the comments below your picks for all of these. So newcomer from the Academy is the first category. And again, I assume that we are on the same page here. Uh, I'd like to hear yours because I do think we have the same name. And I think you can sum it up in a way that might be just better than yeah uh, well i'll sum it up in four letters g-a-v-i it's it's gabi it's 17 year old gabi i mean i knew that he was one of those few players again looking at the academy stuff going generally going all around a cadet ah of what i can watch just trying to understand the names that people are looking at and caring about gabi has four i mean he's only 17 he was 16 when he came up but it had been yeah. those three or four years where he was one of the few that does contribute and did excel in an age group that was too above his own. And those yep. are the players. That's why Alejandro Balde is going to take a while because he's still 18. It's going to take a while for me to get off Balde Island just because he's been so advanced. And now he's had two years of injuries that have basically now put him on the same age track as the other 18-year-olds. So he's always been advanced and ahead. And again, he's still just 18. So for Gabi, just to be that young and to be a starter, just a consummate starter, yep. Um, he was third on the team in appearances this year with 46. So he was part yep. of the backbone of this team. And while he did only score two goals, it's something you hope that he improves upon, especially if Xavi's going to play high interiors. He's going to expect him to, to to score a few more goals like we've seen Pedri do this year. But And he was able, I have to say, to take his reckless cards and settle those down quite a bit. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's telling that he was an instant starter under two different managers this year. That is telling yep. that he never lost his spot at all. But and it wasn't just Gabi. Like, it's, he wasn't the only pick here. I mean, Nico Gonzalez as well. And then, remember, as Abde and Ferran Jukla, who is off to Belgium now for around $6 million, also featured quite a few times under Kuman, as well as a quick yep. cup of coffee for Miko Marmol, Ilyasha Komash, Estanis Pedrola, remember him, the, the U19 yep. winger, and Alfaro Sanz. And then uh, at the A-League All-Stars, we were able to see Barca B's Antonio Aranda, who's 21, of course. And then Balde, as I said, Oriana, Sanz, and Tanas, they were all featuring at the uh, for the A-League All-Stars. And not to change the, the category from Gabi too much, because I think we said a lot about Gabi. We'll keep I mean, talking it, about Gabi. But, yeah, like, but, I mean, it is Gabi. But, but it was, it's, it's tough, though, honestly, though, Emil, like trying to figure out, even from that pick of who I just read, other, I mean, Jukla is on his way out, but which yeah. of those will even get to do first team, preseason with the first team? That's actually what I'm really having a hard time with. I've said for a long time that Oriana, I don't see him 
even against the A-League All-Stars, comes in for the last 12 minutes against Busquets. So unless Xavi is truly saying, hey, I'm seeing what I'm seeing, Busquets is still our choice, but Oriana is going to get the uh, he's going to get the option to audition for the Busquets spot. I see him gone, actually. I mean, he's 22, so his time yeah. is very limited. You know, playing for Barca B in the third division, that's not going to work. They finished ninth. He's also been injured for a year and a half, two years. And so Nico is really, you know, the other guy there. But yeah. as I've said, I mean, I think people fairly, uh, reasonably are are high enough on Marmol. He's left-footed center back who just does a job and should replace the, the amount of time that Umtiti and Lele played. And then Elash Akomash is one that, again, him still being just turning 18, it's going to take a little bit for me to be out on a player like that, especially because in the second half of this year with the U19s and Barca B, he did show you a bit of the finishing product that we expected from him. So again, these guys are improving month to month. It's not even year to year or with yeah. manager to manager or system to system. It's month to month with some of these players or some of them can completely fall off as well. Again, Balde is the one that you circle and say, hey, if he can stay healthy, what can he do for an entire year of, 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 of football? Not only first team, but football. So, all right, I, I we don't have time for to add too much of that because I'm going to give you the full runway, Emil, here for yep. new signing, that being a transfer in. So for transfer in, I mean, in a sense, this is interesting where it becomes like the, the two different seasons because I think it was early in the season, I feel like Memphis was such a... A rock and you know because we spent so much time talking about how the team needed goal scoring and they needed people to just put the ball away and early on i mean i think it was memphis and i think in that post messy period where for better and for worse you know guys were trying to find their footing but i think there was a sense of uncharted waters without the the gravity of messy to just make everything that was going to happen happen uh, I think Memphis came in with like the the requisite confidence and self assurance, and also the just the pure ability to do something about it. And he scored goals early on when the team needed them. And so, I mean, I think you know. So, I think early in the season, I believe it was Memphis. My emotional choice is, as it will always and forever be, Dani Alves. And you know, I don't even need to. I feel like I don't even need to expand on all of the reasons there are to love Danny Alves. And I think in the latter part of the season, I mean, I think it's, it, it came down to, I was tempted to say, eh, I'm going to go with Bama Yang, but I don't know that I love it. Like mm-hmm. my, my heart keeps leading, leading me back to Danny Alves, even though I feel like, you know, that, that might just yeah. be hard overhead. Yeah. I don't, but, know he, I don't know if he did exactly enough. Um, I no, don't know I know. He fundamentally know. changed everything. So, I mean, he, listen, he might've changed the locker room and that's why actually my pick is one that's going to surprise you because it's more about yeah. the points that were won more than it was his actual, his complete and total contribution. So again, this was really hard because all of these new signings based on Barca's finances <laughs> seemed to like a Marvel superhero seemed to have a tragic flaw. With each of them, they all yes. had that thing that were keeping them from being the perfect altruist hero that like, we needed. All did good, but none of no one stood out. Yeah, completely. I mean, Memphis is thirteen goals, as you said, led the team, especially when they needed him the most. He played the number nine. He got them through, and by say got them through the Kuman era, I mean he kept them in the top ten, which is important before he got hurt. And then the January signings shook everything up. So Ferran Torres, you know. It probably isn't allowed to be the pick, you know, I mean, even though he yeah. did contribute so much when he showed up, he just had six goals and six assists and 25 appearances, which again, it's not, that's not enough end product to, to get it done. 
to be the pick. And I'm hoping the Ferran Torres is in the long term. Obviously, he's the youngest of those signings. He's the young, he's yeah. the one. He was the one for the future, as opposed to the yes. others. Uh, along with Garcia, you have to mention. So yeah, we'll have to see. But my pick, believe it or not, even though Memphis and Aubameyang with their 13 goals are why Barcelona finished second. Luke de Jong, seven goals, an extraordinary goal rate as a sub. I think maybe have the best argument for being the best signing because he really was very much like Rothway before him, the break glass in case of emergency. He came in with under Kuman because of Kuman, and yet under Kuman, he won the team a few points when they shouldn't have won any points, either one or three. And then still under Xavi, he still was able to win this club points that they did not deserve in matches that they did not deserve. And he was Barcelona's hero. This is not disparaging Aubameyang's goals or Memphis's goals because when Barca were rolling, Memphis was putting in them, uh, putting them in for those four nothings, those four twos. Aubameyang was putting them in when Barcelona were rolling, but when they weren't rolling, Luke de Jong was the answer. Yeah. And so the, the the applause that he got from the camp no tells me that he was the one that not that they're going to miss him because again you don't re-sign that player, but he was the right, right. the right <laughs> man at the right time enough times this year, and he saved I believe it was ju- it was a total of eight points he saved alone with his head in the last five minutes of games. And that is enough for me to be the difference maker, which is incredible to say. So I, I already brought up. Yeah, that's, yeah, he's the right answer. So I already brought up, I'm glad I convinced you. So I brought up the Ferran Torres already. And so my next yep. category of most polarizing, unless you have a fourth candidate here, I've got three. It's Torres, okay. it's Frankie de Young, and it's Eric Garcia in no particular order. I think those have to be the three. Because I, I think those are the three that I saw the most discord, the most complaining, the most arguing, and the most tribalism, if you will, about Torres, De Jong, and Garcia. I think it's Torres. And a little bit of that is, you know, in the cases of Frankie De Jong and Eric Garcia, I mean, some of this is almost just kind of like, I don't even know, you know, it's like a, my, like a bizarro advanced stat where like it's polarizing per, you know, per day with the club. Because at least, you know, Frankie de Young and Eric Garcia had a longer time to sort of create the factions that they created. I mean, Ferran Torres only arrived in January. And, you know, like there are suddenly, you know, there's a chasm in between the two sides of the Ferran Torres argument. And the only reason I might even say that he's not polarizing is like it just feels like everyone's out on him. I feel like there's just not even enough positivity left for him to to qualify as polarizing, but I, yeah, I mean, I, it's got to, it, it's absolutely got to be him. Yeah. I mean, I think Eric Garcia probably didn't get the praise he did what he should have when he got when he had good performances. So I, I don't even think Eric Garcia is polarizing. I think I just really heard from those who were waiting for him to fail more than I did right. when he did well. And I think Sergino just the same way. You don't hear when Sergino just has an okay performance. You hear when he had a bad performance yeah. and, you know, and I think there's a bunch of players in the squad that are like that. Neto actually, I mean, goalkeepers are like this, but when Neto plays yeah. well, you don't hear it. You almost put Ter Stegen actually in that camp too. I think he would, if people want to say and argue that he is the one, because there are some that are saying, hey, you've got to replace him. And again, yeah. I say that, do you have the money to replace him? No, of course not. You don't have the money to replace a goalkeeper in this kind of season. So Ter Stegen, you're going to kind of be stuck with him, whether you want him or not. But yeah. on the other side of that, most polarizing also tells me that between Ferran Torres and Frankie de Jong and even Eric Garcia and Ter Stegen, there were times when those guys were heroes. There are times when they were villains. And that is what made them polarizing. My next category is most consistent. And I tried to look up and down and, was, and tried to figure out who that answer might be and hoping that it would jump out to me. 
And then, Emil, eventually it did. The second I looked at the numbers, the second I looked at who led the team in appearances, the second I looked at who was just there and available, it there was only one answer. Okay, I, I have not looked at the numbers. And I have two in mind. I'm between Busquets and Jordi Alba. That was one and two. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So I wanted, yeah. to put, I wanted to put PK because when PK yeah. was healthy, the back line was better and Barca were better. Mm-hmm. But I had to go with Sergio Busquets. He led the team with 50 appearances this year. He was the only Barcelona player to hit that mark, by the way, 50 appearances. He played yeah. 4,300 minutes behind only Ter Stegen's 4,350. 4,300 for Sergio Busquets. And he scored three uncharacteristic goals, which, again, don't matter. <laughs> but especially when Xavi came, Busquets was not only locked in, but he deserved to be locked in, right? Under yeah. Koeman, there was an argument in the first half of that year when mm-hmm. Barcelona were getting caught, caught out on the counter over and over and over again. And they were creating chances, but there was no finishing product or else the final ball didn't seem to be good enough. And you figure, you, you wondered where Busquets fit. But then when Barcelona started rolling, the 15-game unbeaten streak, and Xavi came in and you saw him start to implement parts of the system he wants to play. And then you were reminded how important Busquets is. Busquets was yeah. the guy. He was so consistent over the last five months spent since those January transfer guys came. And then the other guy should be Alba. He played in 43 games and had three goals. 12 assists, and most importantly for him, found a way to be useful without his mate Messi. And kind of reminded people that the argument as to why Barcelona are saying, I guess we'll go for Marcus Alonso and kick this can down the road, hope Baldeg becomes good, because it's still Alba's position to lose. He's still the starter, and we cannot break the bank to try to compete for Alba with Alba, because we're, you're not going to get a guy that's going to compete. You're going to break a guy's confidence because... He, you're going to have to bring in someone to be a backup to him. Yep. Agreed. I mean, he, Alba in particular is interesting because I realize Twitter is not always the, you know, the best place to sort of, you know, take the so. temperature of anything, but yeah, there were so many people who, you know, like get Alba out of my club types, you know, particularly earlier in the season. And, you know, I mean, I'll admit when he looks, when he has a bad performance, it looks really bad. But he does so much and he is so genuinely committed to playing his position. And I mean, like he he gives it all and he shows up every as long as he's physically capable of playing a game, he shows up and he plays. And this isn't this season he played fantastically. And I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, I feel like of the players who featured regularly in the team. No one, I mean, by a long shot, I mean, maybe Busquets, but probably no one by a long shot probably felt more disoriented by the absence of Messi than uh, Jordi Alba. And he found a way to be, you know, just rock solid and, you know, hugely productive. Well, and it also kind of didn't matter who was in front of him, whether it was Ferran Torres on the left, whether it was Memphis, whether it was Dembele switching over, whether it was Ez Abde whether it was Ansu Fati, he had a carousel of players in yep. front of him on the left wing, and yet he still was pretty consistent. And defensively, I think more important even than offensively, where defensively he was exactly who he's always been. But, you know, the unfortunately for him, it's always going to be the matches that he doesn't show up, quote-unquote doesn't yep. show up in, are just the most important ones. And I think, you know, it's hard to forgive. And if you're out on Alba, you cannot possibly come back down, right? Like it's because he's yeah. only going to get older, and we're only going to next season see consistently great performances, but 
we might see more poor performances in actually the same way that we do with Danny Alves. Danny Alves had some yeah. good showings. He was really important when he seemed okay. And then the times he looked 39, boy, did he look 39. And that's what oh, happened yeah. with Alba. And that's what happened with older players where very much just like young players, it's, that's the cycle, right? That when you're super yeah. young, consistency is difficult because you don't understand how to be a full professional game in and game yeah. out. And then as your season winds down, as your career winds down, it gets harder and harder to show up each and every time, which again, the, which, the, the physical limit. Yeah. The correct. physical limitations catch up with you. And it's like, your brain is able to answer the bell every time, but your body just yep doesn't have the same, same tread on the tires anymore. I mean, especially with Alba that that period under Kuhlman, I believe when he was dealing with a little bit of that hamstring injury, yep. it just, it, it wasn't good for a few weeks there, but he wasn't healthy and he was the only option. Again, Bars played with one yep. left back this year. So speaking of the, well, I guess not speaking of the opposite of that, where Busquets and Alba, it's not really much room for them to improve. But most improved over the season, I'm interested to see what you have to say for this one. Most improved is interesting because, because I mean, because you have, like, I mean, you can't call Gabi most most improved because he didn't have a he didn't have a track record upon which to improve. But um, I also am not sure if he, like, quote-unquote, improved. Like, he improved around the margins, around the edges. But I think yeah. the off-season and the preseason training are going to be huge for him. Like, I would not be surprised if Gabi comes out even looking like a different player come the fall. I just, you know, I think he just, he played his way and deserved to be a starter. I'm not taking anything away from Gabi, but I, I, yeah, I don't think that his progress issue was linear. I think it was an entire year to adapt to first-team football. And by the end of the year, he did look more comfortable. He looked more calm, which again, for a player like him, you don't want to neuter too much of what he does. But oh, exactly. just, just to see that, yeah. So who's your pick? Is it crazy to say Dembele? It's not crazy to say Dembele. I put Dembele. Yeah. His 13 I'm assists. I'm gonna go Dembele. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His 13 assists were second in the Liga, and he showed yeah. Kules why well, he was brought in five years ago. But unfortunately, this wasn't five years ago. Finally, it was finally, finally, finally the season where it started to make sense for him. And yeah, yeah. he was arguably Xavi's most important player in that yeah. bid for second place. I actually think that Eric Garcia, this is just me doing this, I think Eric mm-hmm. Garcia should be on this list. And it's, he's 31, and I already mentioned him, but I think Luke DeYoung should also be on this list. It feels weird saying a 31-year-old, but he was gone. He was gone. He was a statue. I feel like that's not crazy it to was say. over, and yet he found a way to not only be a valuable piece, but Xavi trusted him off the bench in a specific role. So I think he improved his way over the course of a season into the Barca system, if you will. But yeah. are there any even other candidates other than who we just mentioned? I mean... It's an old squad, right? It's either an old squad or an yeah. injured squad, so it's hard to. Like you go, you go through the young guys, right? You're like, okay, so there's Gabi, there's Pedri, there's you know, and like, you know, there were moments where Pedri was somehow, you know, even more when he was healthy and just, you know, at his, you know, just at his healthiest and at his best, Pedri looked somehow more brilliant, or you know, just mm-hmm. kind of a an intensified version of the awesome player that we saw. I don't know that that counts as most improved, but I do think, you know, it was it was just signs of him growing into his, yeah. his silly, silly talent. Well, I'm going to jump in because we're going to do one more, then we'll do MVP. Yeah. And as we discuss MVP, like I think the other candidates for most improved are obviously also the candidates for MVP. So next up is the opposite direction. It's most disappointing here. There's definitely a bunch of candidates and it definitely depends on how you viewed this because... I'll give you my, my takes first, yes. and then you can kind of land on how you define this award. Mm-hmm. It's not really an award, but most disappointing. Because part of me wants to say Sergio Roberto. Mm-hmm. He played in just 12 matches this season, and 
Every time yeah. it seemed like he was going to be healthy, he wasn't. And a reminder that he is not only the fourth captain, and I know that nobody wants to be Roberto Brown. I mean, truly, truly. No, I mean, whether it's the Catalan journalists I follow, the Spanish reporters I follow, those pundits, just everybody's out in Sergio Roberto, even his own like Catalan defenders. But to play 12, for your one of your four captains to play 12 matches this season, and the fact that Danny Alves really did have to come in as uh, on his white horse to try to save that right side when Dest is dealing yep. with injuries, and even in the midfield, where you could have had Roberto put in some good shifts and good time, and it just never worked. Uh, Martin Brothwaite is actually, believe it or not, it's unfortunate for him. It's unlucky, but he's kind of a good candidate too, where he was brought in for way too much money, and it's unfair to him because a lot yeah. of these players that are quote-unquote disappointing is because the squad has been mismanaged, and they probably, again, shouldn't be around. Roberto probably shouldn't still be around this year. Brothwaite yeah. probably shouldn't have been around. But, you know, not counting goalkeepers, because I guess you can put Ter Stegen on this list, sure. but... Not kind of goalkeepers here. Umtiti, Brothway, and Balde all have the distinction of being named to more than 26 squads and played less than seven matches. And that mm-hmm. that person who did that was Balde. So that means Martin Brothway and, and Umtiti played less than seven matches and had 26 or more, uh, uh, sorry, named to the squad 26. Yeah, they were the on the, yeah. And then Umtiti's one appearance in 29 chances is the absolute worst. But, you know, I, I understand Ter Stegen, now counting goalkeepers, could be a candidate for this after a campaign where I think we all agree he needs to be pushed and sure. he no longer looks like the starter even though he is. But changing the definition of the award, and I know you'll agree with me here, so I'm almost asking for two. I'm almost asking for you to split this in half. I know okay. you're going to agree with this, and then I want you to pick like one that's actually disappointing. But Sergio Aguero's situation was the most disappointing thing to happen once Messi didn't continue on. That yep. was, I think, a little bit of a gut punch yep. where, I mean, Ansu's injuries are definitely way up there. And maybe I, I, I'm kind of almost talking myself out of the Aguero situation, but Aguero was signed. He just made five appearances, scored his one and only goal in El Clasico, and he really, truly could have been answered. This is Sergio Aguero we're talking about. This is a legend of the game we're talking about. And he yep. was just injured when he arrived and then forced into retirement in a heartbreaking way. So definitely his situation is the most disappointing, yes. but... Yeah, so you can give me both answers there, Emil. Yeah. So on the Aguero front, you know, we, we talked about this. Um, the preseason pod that we did where I was in this very hotel that I'm speaking to you from where I beamed and was, I'll call it guardedly giddy about Sergio Aguero coming to, coming to join Barca. And I thought it was going to be, you know, I thought he would be a contributor. I didn't think he was going to be you know, vintage Cunaguero, but just, he's like you said, a legend of the game. He knows, he knows how to finish in front of goal. And I thought he would be kind of a, you know, just a very valuable, a valuable contributor off the bench. So yes, I agree. I mean, his situation, I guess in tandem, I mean, I guess we'll say just in an attack, the, 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 you know, the old and the young kind of Sergio Aguero's situation was like you said, it was heartbreaking and massively disappointing. And then there was also, the overwhelming majority of Ansu Fati's season was just disappointing in the sense that, you know, we were, we just, we didn't get him. And, you know, thankfully it ended on, you know, on some beats of optimism and, and on an upswing, but, you know, for a lot of it, just his situation, it, it has nothing to do with him and his play, but just his situation was disappointing. As far as an actual player who's on pitch performance was disappointing. I mean, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Umtiti and, but I think the thing is, for us to call him TT disappointing, I would almost say disappointing as compared 
to what? I mean, did I, because I don't think we came into this season with anything really in the way of expectations for him. Yeah. I mean, he's for a while now, he's just been seen as this financial millstone around the club's neck. And if they can get, you know, thing at PSG to pay anything above zero and just assume his wages, I mean, he'd be, he'd be gone tomorrow for that reason. I mean, I think it is Sergio Roberto and you know, it stinks, but I mean, he's in terms of quality, in terms of availability, he just doesn't deliver at the level that is required. And I think that was true to a large extent when, when the club had, you know, even greater ambitions than they do sort of rebuild its stature as one of the, one of the leading lights of the game. But I think especially now, as like you said, as one of the captains, as you know, this, this Catalan veteran and, you know, just a veteran of the club who knows the ins and outs. These are the moments too, where his leadership and his know-how and his institutional knowledge need to be shining through and need to be, you know, proving their value. And he's not on the pitch and any indication that I don't, I don't know that he, is delivering a lot, you know, yeah. to the club. You know, I he's, think he's a legacy name. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, that it's largely that he's Catalan and he's a legacy name. Well, putting myself in the shoes of the people in the comment sections and uh, yeah. my replies, I think Ter Stegen and Ferran Torres, if I just had to predict, I think those are going to be the two names you hear the most, believe it or not. Oh, 100%. Because those are yeah. the ones who I think people have great expectations. I imagine for. you'll get a lot of Sergio Roberto as well, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because I think. The 55 million euros at the place that the yes. club is right now is just too mm. much for any player. Yeah. And I think Ferran Torres, unfortunately, is going to be living with that until other big money players return or come back in yes. or are bought. And that might be a year or two even. We don't know where yeah. Barcelona as a club is. And then Ter Stegen, of course, has got to be the guy. And he just didn't win games for Barca this year the way he did under Ernesto Valverde. And it, now it's been a few seasons. So those expectations are continued. Because yeah, it was like three years ago, he yeah. was arguably the top two best keeper in the world yeah, was, you know no block i think and then courtois was still up there at the time but courtois has ascended beyond way beyond and has been arguably the best goalkeeper okay yeah. so the <laughs> last category is mvp yep and we have a hard time with this because you know you and i both follow the nba and yep. you and i both understand that those postseason awards the amount of games played matter. And it's so tough because the MVP is Pedri. Pedri is the MVP yes. of FC Barcelona this year. His four goals, that's it. But it doesn't matter. He helped turn this season around. He was Barcelona's yeah. best player when they were at their best. And they yep. qualified for the Champions League on the back of Pedri being their best player for a few weeks. Yes. And even though it was just two months and then he got hurt again, he did everything that this team needed. They just ascended to a new level with him in tow, even though it was just 21 matches. The yep. other player we have yet to mention at all is Ronald Araujo. He played in just 42 matches, which is eight less than, than Busquets, so I think that still qualifies. But he also yep. played through a broken wrist, or, or whatever that was, or sprain, whatever it was. I think it was a broken wrist. Yeah, he had surgery, yeah. broken wrist. He also played through a concussion. I've said my piece about that. Mm -hmm. And he was dribbled past in single digits still. And there is still work to be done, as I mentioned, about Ron Araujo. He also was targeted as other teams, as in that loss to Gadith, when they said, hey, if that guy can beat us on the ground with the ball, then we'll take the L. But he's not going to do that, and he didn't do that. So there were times when Barcelona fell by the sword, and they were upset by teams worse than them because of some of Araujo's flaws. But you, there's a, definitely a good argument to be made that 
that back line, especially when PK would go down or be out, that this entire that back line could have completely fallen apart if not for Ron Araujo, who also has an argument to be most improved because I think he took another step forward this year, especially yeah. in the air uh, on set pieces, just just becoming one of the biggest dangers that Barca have had from set pieces in quite quite yeah. some time. So I think those who say Araujo, you have a very good argument. Those who say Pedri, I think again, if not for the Again, we're splitting hairs because we're saying yep. did the number of matches he played, if we count that against him, then I'll give you the more difficult task. If we count those games against him and Pedro did not play enough to qualify for this award, if you will, sure. then who is the MVP? Okay, so for me, Araujo and Pedri are sort of 2 and 2A, two and Pedri's only not number one with a bullet because of, like you said, because of the, the time missed. I mean, if he had played... Yeah, if he'd played every game, I mean, it just, you know, we, we'd spend 30 seconds on this and just kind of, you know, just sing his praises for a while and, and go about our day. But so those two are my kind of two and two A. For me, it's Busquets. I mean, just it's, you know, it's not sort of it's not thrilling. It's not, you know, but he's like I, I found an appreciation for Sergio Busquets because, you know, I think no player exemplifies the two seasons of Barca in the 21-22 season more than Busquets because I feel like during the, you know, the under late period Kuman, it looked like Busquets was on his way out just as a, as a top tier player, or, you know, maybe he's not a starter anymore. Maybe he's not an every game starter. You know, it just, he didn't look like the, the, the world-class great that he is. And, and yet he was there. He was, he was consistently there and, you know, under Xavi, I mean, clearly, you know, the, those last days of Kuman clearly were just having an impact on everybody. And I think it was just such a such a drag on everyone because Busquets was just such an anchor and such a rock for the team when, you know, and especially Pedri was out. And, you know, you have new guys coming in and attack. And, you know, Ansu's out and PK gets hurt. And, you know, there's all of this sort of, you know, coming in, going out, injury and this and that. And he was the constant. And I mean, he was he just, like he captain played. too. A reminder too that, that Lionel That's Messi, the, the greatest player of all time, left. Yeah. And this Barcelona team truly could have even crumbled more than it did. And yeah. even though you don't see his captaincy, there was something to be said about the fact that this club did bend this season, but they did not break. There were the he, bad moments, but... And there should be some credit to be given him. Yeah, I, so I, I agree with you there. As you he know, quietly, you know. he quietly sort of. I feel like he quietly calms the team, and I feel like you just kind of look at him, and he's never, he never looks concerned. Like he always looks assured in what he's doing, even even if it's not going well. Like he looks assured in what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I just I feel like he was what this kind of young influx team needed, and sure. yeah, I, I thought he was brilliant. Yep. Uh, I, I have to mention, too, unfortunately, we didn't really mention Ansu for any of these awards because he played just 14 games, but he did score six goals in said game. So I'm really hoping when I say MVP, we're debating Pedri and, and Ansu next year. Uh, if, yeah, I was going to say, Ansu is my, like, my, 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 hope, for, my yeah. hope for next year, my, right. my guy that I'm pinning my hopes to next yeah. year. No, unfortunately, when we talk about mis most disappointing, we might be talking about some players that you already know about because there are reports that no one wants to leave the club. This is kind of where we ended on a pessimistic note right now. 
Langley's salary could be around 10 million euros, but maybe he's open to a loan move. He made 27 appearances, believe it or not, this year, as did Oscar yeah. Mingaitha. Mingaitha made 27 appearances. We forget he did play in five of the six Champions League group stage games. That's how shallow this squad was before yeah. those four came in January, and even other young players did push their way back. I mean, we were hearing reports that, again, not to say that Jules Kunde is not going to be arriving, but the man that actually coming back is is Milan Pjanic, who might get forced out of the club, might go back on loan, but he basically is threatening to come back, saying, hey, I want to be a Barcelona. <laughs> so, again, I'm ending on a pessimistic note because there is a few tough weeks ahead with this FC Barcelona squad and club just because, I mean, they there's it's more likely that Lingley is there than you see Koulibaly or Koundé. So just, just to warn everybody, right. that's where it's at. So I do end on a, a negative note, but I think superlatives were fun enough to be to be positive enough. I, I think there's a lot of good that did happen this season. We can appreciate some of those those big players like Busquets and Alba, who again we keep appreciating them because they're still legends of the game and they yeah. haven't they haven't lost enough for us to. And when they do lose enough, they're going to be gone, just like Iniesta before them. But just when are they going to leave? And are they going to know the right time? Is the club going to know the right time? And is the club going to have the ability to say goodbye when it's time to go? So we should say goodbye because now is the time to go. So follow Emil Evanesian in the show notes down on Twitter. Give him a follow there. We're on Twitter and Instagram too, at the Barcelona Pod, at Hope 13 for me. Close Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast, answer the questions I let you in. Patreon, that's how we keep making the shows. Always, always appreciated. Our store is on Teespring and down in the show notes below. That is the Barcelona Podcast. So deck yourself out with some cool, cool merch. You can also listen to the shows, by the way, on Patreon without these ads. And we're on YouTube as well. It's a, a ton of summer content at the Barcelona Podcast that is coming. I just have to do the research, make these scripts, film these scripts, and get those out to you. So most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast as we enter the offseason here. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.